Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yo! It's the House of L podcast presented by Zenny. I got three new pair of glasses from Zenny. All you have to do is go to Zenny.com. You can pick out a really nice frame for your glasses. They got all sorts of stuff. I'm kind of geek because I got that. I got the, the version of the glasses that get darker as it gets lighter outside. That is super dope. But whatever your style is, they got you covered over at Zenny.com. They are the title sponsor of the House of L podcast, and I couldn't be happier. They're one of our sponsors, along with State Farm agent Brendan Studzinski. He's my agent now, so you should go use him as your agent as well. He gets stuff done quick, is on the level, he's helping you out. And if you go get a quote from him, State Farm will donate. $10 $10 to pause Chicago because he cares about pets and he wants to share some of the wealth with the pets. All you have to do is go get a quote. If you go to chicagosf.com and get a quote, they will donate $10 to pause Chicago. Again, that's Chicago SF, like Chicago State Farm.com. And that's Brendan's practice right there. You can talk to him. He's a good man. He'll help you out. He's right there in Lincoln Park if you want to go talk with him in person. But just go to chicagosf.com and you will see what I'm talking about. This episode of the podcast, man, I'm so excited about it because it's one of the dudes that I've been really trying to get on the podcast. I, I, I've seen Joey Villagomez perform probably 10 times. At different shows around Chicago, he's always he's one of the guys that my man Dave Hellum. If you go back through the catalog, you'll hear the the episode I did with Dave. I should do another one with Dave. He's got some stuff going on now. He's writing for Raven's House for Raven Simone. I need to get Dave back on the podcast. But I would see Joey all the time at Dave's show at North Bar, and then one night after. The show was over. I went to that place. I think it's called The Hat. Like right there on the corner of North and Ashland. And he was sitting there. And I was like, yo, Joey, I'm Lawrence. I'm a friend of Dave's. I was at the show. He's like, dude, I listen to your radio show. And I was like, what? So we started talking. And we, you know, we're friends on Instagram and stuff. And I finally just said, hey, I need to get you on the podcast. And he's like, when are we going to do it? So we sat down. And we talk. Like, this guy is hysterical. He's so funny, and he's so Chicago. Like, he reps it hard, and he reps the South Side really hard. I want to say he's from back of the yards, but he's real. Like, his family grew up, like, real close to Inglewood, and he talks about that, like, what that experience was like as a a Mexican-American kid growing up right in the shadows of Inglewood and it's it's so great like he's a wonderful storyteller he's got the album out 800 pound gorilla but he also got tapped on the shoulder by Bill Burr and he was part of that series called the ringers on comedy central so I wanted to know about that I wanted to know about that phone call I wanted to know about having one of the funniest people in the game look at you and be like, yes, you're funny, and you're next. And what that's like. If you haven't seen Joey, you need to follow him. I think on Twitter he's Joey the Clown. But if you check out Joey V Comedy on Instagram, you can see some of his stuff. He puts up a lot of stuff. The other benefit 
of having Joey on is I know that Joey is a crazy White Sox fan, like as crazy as I am about the White Sox. And he rocks. He's got a better White Sox cap collection than I do. Now, granted, I gave most of my caps away last year after we did that whole thing. But he's got a better collection of caps than I do. And he reps it hard. And you'll find out why he's only repping White Sox caps now. Because it used to be he'd wear a little bit of everything. But he'll explain that inside the episode. I love talking to comedians. They're usually the most comfortable people that I get a chance to talk to on the podcast. Plus, they're just funny. And when it's people who I've seen, like I've I've seen Joey control a room and kill in a room and command the stage and make it fun for everybody. So I I I know that you'll enjoy this. Like it's it's got a little bit of everything in this episode and I'm so glad that he was able to make it and I'm so glad that we had a chance to like just kick it and talk cuz this dude reminds me of some of my friends from high school and college. And I I really vibe with him, and you should too. Joey V Comedy on Instagram. And if you see a show in Chicago over the next few months and you're like, you see that Joey V Gomez is on there, dude, you, you need to make sure that that's the show that you see. Support Chicago Comedians. Be able to be like, hey, I knew you when you was a local dude, and now you're bigger than Kevin Hart. Like, that's the trajectory that Joey Villa Gomez is on. So we talked with him about all of that stuff. I think you'll enjoy it. I know that I enjoyed this episode. The funny man himself, Southside's own Joey Villa Gomez on House of L. When I see you on stage, when I hear you do comedy, it's almost like Chicago is another character. It's like, it's Joey, and then there's the city, and then there's the South Side. I like that. I like that you've incorporated it that way. What made you decide that you were going to talk about Chicago the way that you do? Well, I mean, you've heard a lot of my jokes. They're pretty much true stories that I, you know, I punch up and exaggerate. But the the funny parts are really what really happened. So, you know, I tried to, when I first started doing stand-up, I tried to be like, I tried to do one-liners. And I tried to do topical stuff like, oh, President Bush or whatever. And, you know, it would hit here and there. And, and I'm kind of, you know, I'll do risky material, but I've never been one of them comedians where, like, I'm going to say what I want. I don't care if the, if the crowd doesn't laugh. I like making the crowd, like, I like making the crowd laugh. So I started to notice my stories were the ones that were working. Like getting everybody to laugh, mm. you know. Even Trump supporters were like, "Yo, I dig what you just said." <laughs> so all my true stories are of, of like stuff that happened in the hood or with my friends that all happened on the south side of Chicago. And when I start talking right away, people are, you know how you know how we get the you from Chicago, right? So just me talking right away. So it kind of just ended up mixing, and you know, it just it, it got it came together perfectly, man. So. How long did it take you to get to that place where you're working through what your style of storytelling was going to be to, to find that spark of, let me tell some stories from my life and from my neighborhood to, to get people involved. Oh man, it took at least, at least five years. You know, it's it's like a lot of, a lot, a lot of people don't see that part of standup comedy because you can get into standup and then just become an actor right away. Or or you or become a writer because somebody likes the way you write, but to be good at getting on stage and performing takes a few years, man. So you know you got to hit different ends too because there's there's certain comics that they only work the rooms that their friends put together, or they only work one club. You know I was I was trying to hit, you know I, I was born and raised on the south side, but I was doing a lot of all the rooms I was doing when I started were on the north side. Mm-hmm. You know like up in like on Devon Avenue. You know, like where there are no Southside Latinos at, no Sox fans. So, you know, I'd go Wrigleyville. All the open mics were in Wrigleyville back in the day and in that area. So it kind of turned into, you know, 
just getting around and working stuff and see what worked everywhere. You know what I mean? Did you have a favorite so place started, back then? Uh, well, I ran a room. I ran a room for three or four years. So I would have to say that's kind of my favorite place. I ran a, I ran a comedy show at a Polish bar here on the South Side on 48th and Pulaski. Right. So we ran a Latino comedy show, but it was produced by me and a Puerto Rican producer. Right. But we had we had Hannibal performing there. Kumail uh, Nanjiani, TJ Miller, you know, because these are all the guys that I was meeting at the rooms. They were all my friends before they left and blew up. So we had these guys perform at this little Polish nightclub. It was a bar with a, with a hidden nightclub because the guy didn't have it open for a while. And uh, the Puerto Rican producer. I don't know if you ever heard his name is Mike Yo. He does a lot of stuff for the city. I'll yeah. talk about that some other time. But Mike Yo is the guy that I kind of clicked with 14 years ago. We ran that room, and that's kind of where I built my notoriety. I was hosting the shows there. We did it like every other Friday. And you know, for the first year, it was sold every Friday, we just sold out every show we did. And that there was kind of like, you know, it was kind of like you, you I was riffing, I was able to do crowd work. I, I grew up not far from there, so I was able to like talk about the neighborhood. It would just it made just made me a better comic. So that I would have to say that was my favorite room back in the day. When you go to some place that like isn't the Southwest Side, and you're talking about Chicago and the Southwest Side, do you feel like it resonates with people? Like, how do you bring them into telling Joey's story of what Chicago is like? Well, I mean. Honestly, I, I don't, I mean, I kind of get into me before Chicago. There's a lot of like, I do a lot of jokes about my father because he's, my dad's one funny dude. So that's, those are the stories that kind of turn. I did it one, I started by one joke about him and it killed. And I was like, I got so many funny stories about my pops. So I would always get into the whole, like, I'm, I'm Mexican American first. That was, I would get into that first. Okay. Because, you know, like, White people always, they're always interested in how we live. They're, uh, white people, even though with all the racial tension stuff going on, you know, white people are always interested in how black people and Latinos live. You know what I mean? For sure. You know, like the way we have barbecues, the way we party, you know, they're, they're always interested in that. So I was always like, let me, let, let me get them into my culture first. And then it would get into like, you know, after I meet people at the show, hey, what part? You're from Chicago, right? I can tell by your accent. And then I started to like, all right, let me crack a couple jokes about Chicago and the stuff we go through, like catching a red light ticket. So <laughs> it was just universal stuff. Like somebody in Minneapolis could get, get a red light ticket. You know, somebody in, in uh, Kansas City get, catches a red light ticket. So I would incorporate that stuff in, in a way where like, man, Chicago's so shady. They'll give you, you know, I do a joke about how like you'll get a boot you'll get a boot on your car and they'll, they'll cover the boot with the snow. And then, you know, like, they're just the shady and then tow it because you didn't even know there was a boot on it. It's the truth. You know, it's, just, it's just the way you, and stuff like that would work. And people would be like, yo, the same thing happened to me in, uh, you know, in or Portland, Oregon. So, so yeah, just, you, you just got to find what other people relate to, basically. What drew you to comedy overall because i mean i know that, that that you were you were pretty young when you started out right not really man i was kind of i wish i would have started a little sooner i was already 20 almost 26 years old when i started okay i mean that's young you know it, like when you talk about growing up but in entertainment business i mean you i'm not saying that's old but when you start you know when you hear about like chris rock and all starting at 15 and whatnot I mean, starting at 16, 17, hitting, doing clubs at 18, 19 or. Could you imagine, so, could you imagine yourself at, at 18 or 19 doing clubs? Well, I mean, I can, I can always imagine because now I can because I've always wanted to do stand. But when you think about success, I was, I was, a, I was a knucklehead at 18, 19. So <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I didn't have <laughs> success money back then, man. <laughs> like when I, when I started stand up, I already had two kids. We had family and everything, you know what I mean? <laughs> Married, living with two kids, so yeah, that I was already, I was already that when I started stand up comedy. So, so how do you explain that to your wife and say, "Look, I know we got these kids, I know we got this family, but this is what I want to do." How do you, how do you convince her that this is the right move? Well, here's the thing, Lawrence. 
I worked for the city of Chicago when I started doing stand up. I, I had a good job. You, I worked for the city. You had them nice wow. benefits, <laughs> huh, Joey? Yeah. yeah. I, I started working with the city in 2001 when I jumped. That's what made me jump into comedy because I was always kind of a I riff. I can I roast. I, we, I grew up with some of the funniest roasters because I grew up right like cl real close to Inglewood. So it was kind of a rough area. And I always have this theory where some of the funniest people come out of the roughest areas of the city, man. Like you, you grow up in the hood and you meet some funny people, like witty. You know what I mean? Like just funny, witty people. So that was like at work, I was taking that to downtown when I worked at the cultural center. People in the office like, oh, this dude's funny. Like security, I had nicknames for all the security guards. You know, I was one of them dudes. You know, like, so everybody was just like, yeah, man, little mail room, the mail room dude's funny as hell. So that's when I would get like, all right. People would tell me, man, you should try stand-up. I'm like, I always thought about it. Because I've always, you know, growing up in the 90s, stand-up was nothing compared to all that stand-up comedy that was coming up. Like Def Comedy Jam, even the original uh, Comic View on BET. You know, all, those were some, that was some like real stand-up comedy back then. Wild. And I grew up watching that as a teenager, like regularly. Like I made sure I was at home watching Comic View and Def Comedy Jam every weekend. So, so wait, we'll get back to the family part of it. But when you're watching all this stuff, who was the comedian you were like, yo, like I want to do that? Martin Lawrence, man. Martin Lawrence. They're like him hosting Def Jam and then his show came out, the, the sitcom. And then his special was one of the best, the first one that he did the, well, I think it's called, was You So Crazy or something like that. Mm -hmm. So when like, when that came out, I was like, yo, Martin. I mean, I watched everybody else. I'm Eddie Murphy, everybody, but Martin was the one that made it look fun. He was the one that like, all right, he's just up there riffing, having fun. So yeah, I would have to say Martin Lawrence. You know what's crazy about that is it's so stupid because, you know, I, I work in radio. I swear, there's a lot of stuff that even now, like when I'm watching the reruns of it, I'm like, yeah, that's still going on in the radio industry. Like, oh, yeah, right. like Stan is not that weird of a character to me. Like I have you, seen right? and met that character. And not, to me, not me, me either, because comedy club owners are some weird people, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it, it just, I, I laugh at it because people are like, you know, it's it's a TV show or whatever. I'm like, Martin did his research on working in the radio business because he he got it right. Like, the, my favorite shit is the Varnell Hill episode of Martin oh, yeah, with Tommy yeah, yeah. Davidson. I, still, we still do Did you miss me? I still do that. I mean, <laughs> get to the yams. We got to get to the yams. Like, I've, I feel that, like, all the way around because I have a bunch of friends that have, have man, gone – I still joke around because, like, I'm kind of cool with Bill Burr now, right? Yes. So I still joke around, like, when, when he invited me out to do some stuff, I'm like, what if I show up up there? And, you know, you know he just ignores me. I'm like, I'm going to show up to his theater like like Martin did on Varnell Hill. <laughs> <laughs> just pop up yelling at Joe to see. I Yeah, like, I, I was joking about that. I'm like, you better not front on me, man. I'm going out to L.A. to do this. Yeah, so, it, you know, it all worked out, though. So yeah, Martin Lawrence was a huge influence on me doing stand-up comedy. Really? Yeah. Were there even his, even his terrible movies, he's funny in them. I, I know you're talking you know, about Blue like, Streak right <laughs> now. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a terribly written movie. Terrible, you know, but, I mean, he's always just been a funny character. Yeah, he's always, like, when you see him on the, on the screen, like, he's always on, and... Um, I'm always him. He's just being him. It's right. Not, he's not going extra. You know what I mean? Right. I agree with you wholeheartedly. All right. So so let's go back. So you've got the good job. So there is some stability. So do you have to do any convincing of your family that this is the right move? Well, not really. Not too much. What I mean, I was kind of forced into it. So the the good thing I was forced into doing it full time in a sense where I got, I ended up getting laid off in 2012. So I was already working for the city since like 2001. So I was there for a while. The part, I mean, the part that, that was hard to convince was convincing myself, you know, cause my kids were already older. I mean, I don't, I'm, I don't live lavishly. I don't own a home. I don't have a crazy mortgage. I just had to figure out how to pay the bills. Right. So it was one, it was more of like, I was good at it. So everybody else was cool. With it. Like if I suck, yeah, it, it would have, yeah, the wife wouldn't have been having that shit, man. She would, you know what I mean? Like, 
but she the room that I'm talking about, she ran the door. She ran the door while I ran the room and then the other with the other promoter. So she was kind of in the business of it. And and we were good, we were just good at it. And we just wanted to see where it would go. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. That's that's dope. That's really dope. I mean, honestly, I mean, and, that, and this is not even from a, like a bragging standpoint, because I've always just been a talking ass kid. You know what I mean? Not even from a bragging standpoint. I rarely have rough sets. Rarely. Because even when a joke doesn't hit, there's I know how to talk to crowds. It's just we, it's weird. I just I know how to like fuck with the crowd to get them back in or like, yo, that that joke wasn't shit. But I got something else. I got a, there's a little way to, that I figured out. Hosting a lot of shows is what taught me how to do that. How do you go from being a guy who riffs, like someone who, you know, whether you're playing the dozens with people at work or whatever, and people go, man, you're kind of funny. You should be a comedian to then learning how to like structure a joke and structure a show. Just watch a lot of standup. And, and I'm not talking about watching specials because a lot of the specials, you watch a Netflix special, a lot of it's already edited. Right. I'm talking about go to the Laugh Factory, sit back and watch three or four comics, you know, and watch the same ones at a different area. Cause that's what I would do. I would, there was times, man, I would go to these open mics and like these white dudes didn't know me. I would be recommended by one person or two people. And I would get there and I'm like, yo, you know, this guy sent me, I want to spot an open mic. They would put me like number 30. Wow. So there was times where I wouldn't even, I'd sit there and watch 10 comics and I'd leave. I wouldn't even perform. Cause I'm like, I'm not going to sit through. Like I already have four beers. Right. I got kids. I'm, I'm going to try to die. I got kids at home. yo. So there was times where I would, Sit there, have a couple beers, watch 10 comics, and dip. And then and in my head, I'm just thinking, like, all right, that one dude did that one joke. That was, you know, clever the way he threw that in there. So yeah, just watching a lot of stand-up, man. You gotta study it kind of like there's no class that's gonna teach somebody how to be funny. You know what I mean? Right. Who's who's the best that you've seen at the construction aspect of comedy? Oh man, like there's a so well. I mean, like the story. I, I always appreciate a storytelling comp, like Eddie Murphy, of course. Just people that just know how to tell a story, but like structuring, structuring like a witty. I don't know. Somebody like Lewis Black, mm-hmm. um, Pat Oswalt. Pat Oswalt is one of them dudes that does that. Uh, Hannibal Burris does that. You kind of like, all right, he's getting a little weird with it, and then you're just like, oh shit, that was you know, like that was clever. Uh, Little Rail's a really great storyteller. You know, uh, Dave Hellum. You know Dave. Yeah, that's my man. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the way Dave structures jokes. You know what I mean? <laughs> he does it like, it's so weird because like, so I don't know if you know the background of me and Dave, but Dave's mom and my mom are friends. They used to teach together. Oh, okay. And you can tell that he's a teacher's kid. Like, just like you could tell I'm a teacher's kid by the way that he goes about it. And even now, like, when you see him, the way that he constructs stuff, you can be like, yep, he was a little kid writing stuff down. And yeah, he was, you, can you can tell by, by the way that he goes about his, his deal. But we, like, met up. Like, we didn't know each other. Like, even though our parents knew each other, we didn't really know each other. And then I met him in the barbershop um, in Hyde Park. Like, we are just – he's like, yo, I listened to the radio show. And I was like, I know you from somewhere. And he's like, I'm such and such, you know, and – your mom and my mom, like, know each other. And I was like, I know, I know that part. And I was like, I've seen you perform. And he's like, oh, yeah. So so we've just kind of become close, like, after that. And I, I try to support everything that he, do- he does, man. I'm happy that he did because I it gave me a chance. Like, when I first saw you, man, your set blew my fucking mind. And the, oh, reason, thanks, the reason why it did is because – you just roll up, and, like, no matter what the crowd is like, and occasionally the crowds at day shows, like, are not always the – Oh, yeah, yeah, we know. I go in there already. I go in there, yo, like, all right, it's going to get loud. I'm a, I'm going to go up 30 minutes late. Right. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm already – yeah, I know. And, and, and it was just so, like, organic and raw, like, the stuff that you were doing, but it was also slick. And I was like, this dude is incredible. Like, and I was laughing the entire set and you know how to, 
it's it's I always feel bad for comedians, and I deal with this a little bit as a talk show host, on what happens when audience participation throws things off. Like you're in a rhythm and then someone says something dumb and then you have to figure out how to steer the, the, the plane back right. And you do that better than a lot of comedians that I've seen. You roll with it. And I think it's it's what you were saying about like your personality and dealing with people when you're working in the city. It's very clear that you are are prepared more than most when it comes to those moments. And And I'll take it back to this. Customer service, man. I'm a huge, before I worked for the city, I worked for Walgreens on 53rd and Ashley. And this is in the 90s. I worked at 47th and Halston. Then they moved me to 53rd and Ashland, where I did photo department, right? I did the one hour photo. This is when the photo was brand new, 98. Right? <laughs> so now they moved me over there because I was good at developing. Because I'm, I'm kind of a nerd too. When I get in, when I learn some shit, I'm like, all right, this is cool, whatever. So they moved me over there because I speak Spanish. And now there's the few Mexican people that live around that area, because that's mostly black people. When you go south to 51st Street, they would come and bring their film now. So the man, you know, the district manager was like, we want you to stay because now we're getting Spanish customers. I'm like, yeah, but we've gotten robbed like five times in the last three months. <laughs> and like, this ain't cool, man. <laughs> so that, no lie, man, dealing with customers one-on-one every single day. For three, four years. And cool customers, ghetto customers, hood people, Spanish, everybody, vendors, you know, police were always called in there. You know, so I had to just deal with so many personalities working there, man. And then going to the city, you know, I, I was never really around white people. So when I got that white, that job at the city, now I was like, all right, now I got to learn how to communicate, you know, with artsy white people. You got a code you know? switch. Yeah, no, now my, my, my boss is a first deputy. He's a black dude with a suit and his wife is an alderman. Like, I got to learn how to communicate with these people now. You know what I mean? So it was just a whole, all of that, just dealing with a variety of people and personalities, man. It kind of makes it easier on stage. I, I, that's the thing, man. When I got into stand-up, I kind of had a little plan of what I'm going to do on stage. You know what I mean? I always, I always thought about that stuff. A heckler. What if somebody shouts something out? Always kind of... Had that in the back of my head. Never was, not saying I was perfect at it, but I always had it in the back of my head. Have you ever performed in in all Spanish? Um, I've yeah, I've done like not long sets though, ten set, ten ten minute sets. Well, I mean, I just all I do is take the jokes that I tell and write them, tell them in Spanish. Well, is is there any difference between like of like a mostly Spanish speaking crowd and a mostly English speaking crowd? Yeah, there's. I mean. You hear how Spanish swearing sounds, right? Uh-huh. So when some of my jokes are sound way funnier when they're told in Spanish when you swear in Spanish. Like there's a thing about a joke being told in Spanish, like it just sounds funnier in Spanish. So you do get that reaction. The way you say it in front of a like a Spanish speaking crowd, you are you kind of know which words just smack. You know what I mean? Like like a certain slang word for a swear word. That's dope, yeah, you man. Kinda, you kind of know. That's really, really dope. So I want to talk about Bill Burr, man. What does it feel like to have a dude like that kind of tap you on the shoulder and be like, you're next, Joey? Like, and 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 say, hey, I am I am now going to pay attention and help out in your career. Man, honestly, man, that was the um, you know, probably the biggest uh when somebody recognizes your work, you know what I mean? Cause we, you see, we go through these things where we're auditioning every year for something we're, we're doing, we're submitting to festivals. We're, we're basically submitting all this shit, knowing we're going to get rejected. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it's a drop in a bucket meant to get put in these spots. So just for somebody from, of that caliber in standup to recognize your work. I mean, just, and that was kind of like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm doing something right. You know what I mean? Somebody recognized my shit. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. You know what I mean? So the part that's really tripping me out is how he stayed friends with me. Like, we talk on the regular. You know, he's a big sports head. Yeah, I know. I know he's a huge yeah. sports guy. Dude, I, I could text him and be like, yo, what's up with Brady? You know what I mean? Like, we're cool like that. So that's the kind of part that's like, trips me out, man. Talk to him on the phone and I'm just, I mean, I'm not fangirling this shit, but you know, you're just kind of like, Hey, I'm talking to Bill Burr. Right. Like, I'm looking at my kids in the way, like, yo, I'm talking to Bill Burr right here. You, you're, you're watching The Mandalorian. And you're like, I know that guy right there on The Mandalorian. Yeah, and I can text him. I, I sent him a text. Remember when he dropped the baby Yoda? The baby Yoda? Yes. Season one? <laughs> like, I sent him a text. Like, yo, you can't drop the baby Yoda, man. <laughs> you know, and he, 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 you know, he replied, like, ha, 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 you know, so. <laughs> but that's so cool that they – you're right. Like the idea of someone of that caliber who's done so much, whether it's you know on stage, his podcast is amazing to, to say, Hey, Joey, you're funny. Like yeah, take it's a me trip. It's tripped out, man. Yeah. Take me back to like that moment when you realized that it wasn't someone fucking with you. Like it was actually like Bill Burr was talking about doing some stuff with you. Yeah. You know, you know, that blue check mark, right? You get the blue check marks on Instagram because he hit me up on Instagram. So I do have to give a big, a big thank you to the Chicago Laugh Factory. They're the ones that started to record our Saturday set. Have you, have you ever been to the Laugh Factory? I have. Night? I wanted them sold out nights, right? So they started regular, like they hired a video guy. They bought some legit cameras to record Saturday sets. <clears throat> so I got to give it to them. They started doing that and they posted one of my jokes. The vegan, my sister being a vegan with the Popeyes. It was like a 30 second <laughs> clip about like, why are you, I want to eat Popeyes and you're giving me shit, right? They posted that and it went viral. It had like, like half a million views, like in three days. Wow. And it just kept going. So I'm, I, I started, I'm looking at the comments and I noticed uh, Leslie Jones, like she was like LMFAO, you know, <laughs> whatever. So I was like, oh shit, whatever. The next day, I woke up. You know, you know when you wake up and you just like staring at your phone. Yes, you know, like you're still in bed. You just like <laughs> you it's part of your it's part of your morning ritual. You wake up. You're like, I don't really feel like getting out of bed. Let me just you like, know you see what the breaking news is right. And, you know, and then post you a little cheesy good morning, whatever. So yeah, I'm you know I'm doing that, and I I saw the notification where it was like message from Bill Burr, from Wilfred Burr. And I never really knew his. I'm a, been a big fan of his forever, but I didn't know his Instagram was Wilfred Burr. I wasn't really following him on Instagram because a lot of those big comics like that, they don't really do Instagram. Right. They got somebody else running it for him. You know what I mean? So I follow his Twitter or I, I, I listen to his podcast. So I was like, this got to be some bullshit, right? So I opened it and it was just a legit message. He's like, hey, came across your... I'm talking about like not even a full sentence. It was like, hey, came across your videos. Love your stuff. Awesome work. That was it. Wow. So, you know, I went to the page to make sure it was him. Whatever. And then I was just like, yo, all these other blue checkmark famous comics are liking Al Madrigal liked the joke. Who, you know, he owns all things comedy with Bill Burr. That's right. So, you know, he liked the joke. And I'm just like, okay, this got to be Bill Burr. So I, re I replied. I'm like, hey, Bill, been a fan for years, whatever. I'm like this, you know, like, thank you so much. Appreciate the, the feedback. And that's all I said, man. I didn't say nothing else to him. So all things comedy was kind of new at the time, right? They had just signed a three-year contract with Comedy Central. They signed it like at the beginning of 2019 to start filming in mid-2019 through 2022. So I was kind of like, all right, this is, you know, I was already kind of like thinking, you know, shit in my head kind of. Got to try to get in with all things comedy or whatever. Two days later, I didn't hear nothing from Bill anymore, right? Two days later, I'm driving to Nashville. And while we're headed to Nashville, I get the email for the offer for the TV show. 
for a TV spot. What? Like from All Things Come. It was the, it wasn't an audition offer. It was you want to be on a show, just sign this. Here's the details, how much we're paying, whatever, the taping. Can you want to do it? Sign this contract by Friday. So you know, I I you know, I didn't read through the whole contract, but I basically looked at what what they wanted, like the five minute set or whatever, ten minute set. And then I wasn't gonna say no because I'm reading just like yo, I'm getting offered this spot. It's yeah. crazy. You know, so as soon as I got to the little the, the place where we stayed in Nashville, you know, I jumped on my MacBook, signed everything, and bam, they confirmed it all. Got a call that following Friday, uh, the following Monday, from one of the producers, what we're gonna do next, and this and that. So, yeah, I mean, it just in a, within a week, it all happened within a week. Man, that so that 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 was crazy. I mean, that's got to be like a comic's dream, right? Oh yeah, it's every. I mean, honestly, man, what what kind of what kind of like blew me away a little bit was I was I didn't realize because I'm I I was out every night doing stand up before the pandemic. I mean, I'm doing I was doing ten shows a week. I was just in rooms every single night, and I like I said, I stick around and watch a lot of the open mic comics because I produce shows with that Mikey O guy, so we're always looking for new comics. But what I didn't realize was a lot of these dudes were looking up to me, like a lot of them. I was, I was getting so many messages where I couldn't even keep up with them. Like, yo, I've been watching you for three, like people that I just seen, never even talked to them. Just young 21 year old comedian that I always just see walking by, you know, never really talked. I was getting messages from people like that. So that, that kind that's kind of was like, all right, you know, and then you get into, you know, you got that hang in there, man. It'll happen one day. You stick with it and you're good stick with it so what was the experience of of then okay now you've signed it you, you've signed it you're gonna get ready to go produce it what are you thinking during that time as as you're preparing to to take on this new challenge man the, i think the biggest the, the hardest part about that was knowing i was gonna be in front of cameras i'm i'm never worried about performing it's it's like, I love performing. Like, a lot of these comedians trip out because there's times where I'll eat, I'll eat straight up, eat some edibles and get up and perform. They're like, dude, how'd you do that? I'm like, I just love performing, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I never, I wasn't really worried about that part. It was more of like, this is TV. Don't fuck this up. Do not, you know, don't fall. You know, like, try not to bump or like mumble a joke. It was all about just being right for the cameras, man. That's that's honestly the thing that was kind of, you know, it was a little, give me a little anxiety of leading up to the taping. Was it as bad as you thought it was? Oh, no, no, no. It was, I like, I I enjoyed it. It was, like, when it was all done, got done, got off stage, you know, it was like, why was I tripping? No, that was, that was nothing. That was awesome. The room was packed. You know, ever heard of, you know, Jay Larson? Yeah. Jay Larson hosted the show. And then Bill Burke closed each night because it was two nights of taping. So it was eight comics each night. Jay Larson hosted it and then Bill Burke would close out with like a 30-minute set. And Jay Larson is hilarious. I mean, he was he was crushing right from the beginning. So he was he, he was setting it up way up here for us, man. So it was literally just a regular, dope, packed out night at a comedy club. That, that the night that it went down, it felt it felt back. normal to you. It didn't feel like this is super big yeah. and every you were able to get into a comfort zone. Yeah, because all the all the t- I mean, you you've seen TV setups. It's ridiculous, man. You know what I mean? They had, you know, the the camera rails all over the place. Yeah, twenty cameras going. You know, a sound booth that took up, you know, like three hundred feet of the back room. So it was one of those things where I just had to block that out, and then they kept all that dark. So yeah, I just had that comedy club vibe. All the comics in the back, you know, the only difference was there was f- famous comedians back there. Andrew Dice Clay was kicking it with, with us in the back. You know, it was tripped out. Yeah, that, that was the only difference. But other than that, it was just, a, it felt like a night of stand-up comedy. You brought up doing all these shows before COVID. What's this been like over the last 13 months of trying to figure out how to reach your audiences that have been out there? Uh, social media, man. I've I've never I've never stayed quiet. I don't understand comedians that say I don't like social media. I mean, if you want people to know who you are, you gotta stay on social media. <laughs> as annoying as it is, and 
you know, especially right now with everything going on, you know, with the George Floyd stuff and all the drama going on. It's hard. I mean, it's it, it's a little, it's it gets tiring, you know, but I mean, if you want to stay relevant as an artist or whatever, you've got to stay on social media. So that's kind of where, luckily I had the album that came out. You know, my album was released during the pandemic. So that was, and luckily the timing was because the record label gives you once they pick a release date, it's gonna be three months. They give you got they gotta give uh you gotta give them three months to market. So it was dropped in like September. Mm. So that I had more little clips and stuff to push out there. So that that had that, you know, to push out to make a little money and stay relevant. And then all things comedy was pushing it for me. So I'm still kind of kind of plugged in with them. Did a lot of writing. I got like a pretty much a whole new 45 minutes to take. That's good. Which is kind of my next step for later this year. So is it set that you're going to do like a, a long form like tape set or are you still looking well, for someone to do it? Oh, no. Here, Well, here's the plan. What, what we do is we like to run. We like to run the hour before we actually tape it. So back in October, when we opened up a little bit through the Mikey O guy, you know, Joe's on Weed Street. Yeah, That's yeah. We do the big shows at. So we did the social distancing one with tape. You know, we had to split the tables up, masks or whatever. I did four shows in October, sold them all out. There were it was like one a week, and that's that was the that was the month I was running the new forty five minutes. But then they shut everything else down. So I'm gonna run it again this summer, tape the audio. Basically, I'm gonna record it like I'm recording an album, just the audio though, and I'm gonna send that to certain people that's how i did my first album we produced the album i didn't have a record label produced it one of my buddies produced it. he edited the whole thing for me we sent the final product to the record labels and one of the record labels signed 800 pound gorilla records so i'm gonna tr- i'm gonna do that again basically how cool is it to be able to have a homie that like you can they're invested in your success and you're invested in their success and have it work out oh it's, i mean I mean, it goes back to you, you got to be good at it. That's the reason why my buddy Mike did it. You know, he was the one that was like, yo, this album is solid enough. Because what a lot of us do is we we record an album just to make a quick buck and get the work, just to get our names out. In the sense where, all right, I'm going to, you know, burn it out to CDs or whatever, or or make a like a, a downloadable version of it, and sell it after shows. That's That was my original plan. But when my buddy Mike finished editing the whole thing, He's like, dude, you got a solid hour. Like the whole album is an hour, like five minutes. He's like, this is good enough to send to record labels. He's like, so do you want to sell it right now? Or do you want to take a risk, send it out and just wait? And I was in really no hurry to make a lot of money like that. Because I was kind of like, this, this just, let's do that and see what happens. And if nobody picks it up in three months, then I'll just do what I was going to do in the first place. So two record labels like so I ended up signing with them. They, all I'm paying for is the marketing. That's those are the only expenses that that I owed because I we pay, pretty much produced the whole thing. Right. We just had the re, we had to adjust the sound for like you know for streaming for Spotify, Apple. We had to remaster the sound a little bit, but other than that, they were like, "This is good enough. The editing's tight. It's ready to go." So I'm gonna try to do that again. <laughs> well, that's good though. This like. One, you keep it close. One, I'm, I want to try to get a special out of this. So like, what? Even wh- though it's only audio, I'm going to send it to the all things comedy. I'm going to try to send it to these people who can produce a special for you. And I mean, considering your success with them, I mean, I, I'd be surprised if they said no. Like, like that. Well, I mean, I just got to give them a solid. That's that's all I got to rely on. Just give them a solid product. You know what I mean? They already have. They know I'm funny. Like Bill Burr listened to my album. He he, I'm, that's how I got a lot of streams. He pushed it out for me on Instagram. I, I got a lot of streams overnight because of that. That's crazy. You know I mean? So, <laughs> so what? that's kind of like I'm relying on. I Me mean, not really relying on it. It's just the next one thing. Of my goals one of my next projects. You know. What's the best comedy show that you've been to? Like as a as an audience member, or maybe maybe hosted. What's the best show you've been to? Oh man, I would I would have to say. Um, who did I? I worked with a comic. Oh, you know, you know, Bert Kreischer is right. Mm-hmm. 
I hosted for him at a weekend at the Improv here in Chicago, and he sold out all six shows. Probably one of the coldest weekends ever. Like, the, I mean, the Improv, when you open up that back room, it seats like 450. So he sold out the whole weekend. Wow. And it was just, that was the night where I was like, all right, white people like me. Because that, <laughs> it was just a bunch of drunk young white dudes, man. Or like old, you know, like them, you know, like them dudes that were cold frat dudes back in the eighties. They think they're, they're still cool, but like they got families. <laughs> like, yes, it's a room full of that, man. <laughs> and you killed. Oh, I was killing every show. Bert Kreischer was like, I was featuring. I wasn't even hosting. I was featuring. I was doing twenty minute sets every day. Yeah, he was like me. And he's part of all things comedy. We became friends that weekend, but he was the one coming. He's like, dude, you fucking, because he's a storyteller. All his jokes are stories. So he appreciated all the stories I was telling. He's like, your fucking stories are awesome, yo. So that was probably one of the best weekends I've ever had. I mean, honestly, the the whole, um, the probably the, that was a full weekend. But the best one show was when I did the main room at the comedy store with Bill Burr. Uh, Bill Burr, Mark Marin, um, Anthony Jazelnik. Melissa Villasenor, Andrew Santino. I mean, these lineups were insane. Wow. And they gave me a 15-minute spot right in between, like, uh, Mark Marin and Bill Burr. <laughs> and I murdered it. Sold out main room at the comedy store. That was probably the one dope, best show that I've ever done. So, so when you're given that opportunity and you see the lineup and you're like, wait, hold on. Hold on. You got me in between Marin and Burr. Are you excited or you were intimidated? I, I was excited, man. I was excited. I, I was, I was not. I, it's weird, dude. I was kind of like, all right. I, I was kind of like, uh, I want, all right. I'm gonna show him what's up, you know. I was, I was not too intimidated. I like that. Like there is I something. I was gonna be. I thought I was gonna be, but I wasn't. There, there's a competitive nature to comedy. I think that allows allows comics to kind of rise like it's like okay it, it seems intimidating but now i've got an opportunity to show that i belong here and this is lawrence, what i've been waiting for lawrence you talk sports for a living man and i just said this shit on a podcast the other day i compare this to sports man the dude that's in the batting cages the guy that's getting consistent hits the dude that's practicing his free throws every night the dude that's working on his jump shot. Those are the guys that get the opportunities, man. I've always applied that to stand-up. Always. And I don't... I've never competed against another comic. I never went in a room like, I gotta be funnier than him. It was more of somebody goes up there and crushes. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, like a cleanup hitter. You know what I mean? You, the first two guys got on base and you get up there like, all right, I'm knocking out the park for him. You know, I've always had that mentality going into comedy shows. Because so it is a competition. So, so you're like uh, the the comedy version of your meme Mercedes right now. <laughs> Big- I wouldn't say that, man. I wouldn't say I was. I didn't come out the box like that. I was funny <laughs> out the box, but I. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I was. I didn't go eight for what do you go for? Eight straight hits. Yeah, that eight, was, yeah. eight for eight. I, eight. I bombed. I bombed at least twice in between. AL Player of the Week. <laughs> He's hitting six hundred. Like. Are 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 you excited about with the Sox this year or what? I I am and I'm I'm not. It's weird. I'm I am excited about them because it is a different team. But I the whole like I don't know what I still don't have full faith in the whole Tony Larusa project, man. Because say what you want, he's a Hall of Famer, he's an old school uh, coach. But that's what bothers me, like. Old school is not in right now. As much as, as old school as you want to be, and you want to be like, oh, that's how it was back in the day. That baseball is not that anymore, man. <laughs> no and this and this is like, like the most new school team ever. Ever. And I I mean, I think football is probably the one of the still old school sports where they're you know starting to change. But yeah, baseball, I mean, it's a whole different sport compared. I mean, you heard Ozzy said it the other day when uh, I think Frank Tom, Frank Thomas asked him about coaching or some shit, and he even said it. He's like, "I would like to coach just as he's like, because I'm a different person." He's like, "I kind of adjusted to the way these young guys play, and he wants to challenge himself." So yeah, Tony, I just think like Tony Larusa kind of like put it this way: he's too chill in the sense where you know he's not going to panic because he's Tony Larusa, but 
at the speed of the game. It's like, yo, you have you heard him talk? It's like, yo. <laughs> I get mad because I feel like yeah. I'm making I'm making fun of him, but I swear, like watching him walk out to the mound is painful. It's like, hurry up. Like <laughs> And in the post game, like, you know, he's like he's doing the zooms all in the camera, like and it's like, yo. <laughs> <laughs> it's like having a Zoom meeting with like my great grandpa. He's like way up. In the- <laughs> All right, man. Before yeah, I let before I let you go, if if I if I allowed you any comedian that's out right now, you could pick their brain about what it is that you're doing, and we're gonna put Bill Burr to the side. But if there's any comedian out there, you could pick their brain about what it is you're doing. Who would you talk to? Oh man, I, you know what. And and I'm and this is no diss. I'm not a big fan of his stand-up. But uh, Kevin Hart, man. I mean, Kevin Hart, there's 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 this thing about like he if you hear his stories about how he came up in New York, all right. Now I talk about how coming up with all these famous comedians and you're in a green room with these famous famous comics. Kevin Hart had to go into a green room with guys like Bill Burr, Patrice O'Neill, Seinfeld. You know, Louis C.K. when he like that. Now that right there had has had to be one of the most. I mean, you talk about doubting yourself and not sure what you want to do. Imagine being in a room with them guys. So Kevin Hart always tells a story. That just put your head down, and if you want to be successful at it, and I mean the dude, he's done it. I mean he's super rich off it. You know his fan base is loyal to him. So I I don't know I would just like to pick his brain on how like the whole self running a self business yeah I'm with you on that like the business acumen of I don't That's know it's part of this business I I don't know if, if he has an equal in that regard because if you're out here selling out football stadiums and you're managing a, a a a movie career and you're doing all of these dates around the country. And you're doing all sorts of other stuff too. I I I want to say I heard him. God, was it on Stern? Maybe it was on Stern where he was talking about. I think it was Stern where he talks about that. That's the one I'm talking about. And mm. and I'm I was just amazed. Like I was like, wow, this dude is really on top of the business aspect of it. And I think that's the hardest thing. Like even me, like a, like any creative, like the business part of it is the hardest thing because we're just like, just let us do our thing and pay us something that's close to what we think we're worth. And he has been adamant in getting on top of your business and making sure that no one takes advantage of you. Yeah, and and that's that's another crazy thing about that about the taking advantage part because when you when you hear about like people stealing jokes, right? I mean, it's not just something about taking advantage of you. Somebody could take a piece of gold that you created and make millions of dollars off of it. You know what I mean? And I don't think Kevin Hart had to worry about that, but being around the people he was around in New York, you had to be business-minded. There's probably no other way around it. I mean, you had to think, these are, you know, these, these dudes got sitcoms. They're writing for shows. They're writing movies. So I think that had a, him being surrounded by that. That's why I would like to pick his brain. Because being in Chicago, we were, I mean, we're never known as a famous person city. You know what I mean? We have our, we have our famous characters. You know, we got the Bill Murrays and whatever. But to come up in New York around that and then become one of the richest comics ever. Like there's, there's a, for, there's got to be a formula to that, man. <laughs> But I appreciate you stay repping the White <laughs> no, Sox too, man. And, and on the Sox, on the Sox cap tip, but you have a very envious. I'm envious of your collection of White Sox caps. Oh yeah, I'm a diehard White Sox. I mean, I live five minutes from the park, man. So yeah, I grew up right here, watching the fireworks out the back window. You know what? It, you know what it is. I used to collect just. I would never wear, like, put it like this. There's two or three teams I would never like purchase a hat from, right? But I used to I used to rock a Indians hat. If a hat looked cool, I used to buy it. But when 2005, I vowed. I'm like, if the Sox win the World Series, I would never purchase another baseball team's hat. Wow. So yeah, they they won they won it, man. So I would only buy White Sox hats from now. <laughs> yeah, I'd like for them to win it again. <laughs> that trophy's getting a little hey, dusty. I'm wearing I'm wearing the classic. The oh, classic I see it. 
<laughs> you got the, the, the Paul Canerco special going on right yeah, there. So yeah, yeah. Now hopefully this could, you know, give Tony LaRusso some luck. Man, we'll see. A lot of cool lessons in there from Joey Via Gomez, man. That was just fun. It was just fun. It was also fun that he wanted to lean into talking about the White Sox, too, which I always think is a trip when someone wants to lean in and talking about the White Sox. But please support this man. Like, support him. Once we get to a little bit more of a, a normal place and we are going out more, and I know that a lot of people have already been vaccinated, and some people, if you run across a show and you see that one of the headliners is Joey Via Gomez, I'm telling you, you're in for a great night. I love him telling the stories about like hosting these comedy shows on the Southwest side. You know, this this kind of speakeasy type places that he was he was running and it's so Chicago and very, very funny. But I'm so glad that he got the opportunity to 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 do what he's doing and to keep doing what he's doing and he was willing to be on the podcast. We appreciate him a lot for that. So, you know, so what's up with the pod, right? Things are going really well with the podcast. Really happy with what Sports Adjacent is doing. That podcast is really ridiculous and is partially ridiculous because Tony is on it. But Russ is also, you know, Russ can play it either way. Like, Russ is the dude that you could invite to an an intellectual seminar, and he's also a bit of a goof. So it works out well. It works out well. And I also enjoy... Leisure, like, leaning into the fact that he's the old man of that group. Sometimes I swear he sounds older than I am, and I am significantly older than him. But I guess when you're a parent, that kind of ages you maybe a little bit quicker than it does when you aren't a parent. And as I've said before, Maddie Lee, the content that she's putting out is top-notch, and if you haven't listened to the episode where she talked to her Little League team, you need to go back to last week and listen to it because it was really, really good and a a wonderful idea by her. So we we got more content coming, you know. I'm really happy. I'm really happy that the the relationship with me and Zenny has really worked out. Like I love my glasses from Zenny, and I love them so much that I think I'm going to get some more. I have three pair. I think I need five. I think I need two more. I don't have like a straight like black pair because I was I was like, let me toy around. But I found that I need to get a black pair. So I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to get like a crazy pair, like some Sally, Jesse, Raphael joints or something. But whatever your style is, if you go to Zenny.com, you can pick out your glasses and get what you need from them. We thank them, and we also thank our buddy, Brendan Studzinski, who's my state farm agent, and he should be your state farm agent. If you go to chicagosf.com, you'll find out all about him, and if you get a quote, State Farm will donate $10 to Pause Chicago, and I know that's that's something that a lot of people care deeply about, including Brendan, so know that. If you pick him up as your agent, that he loves animals, and Part of the reason that he wanted to be on the podcast was to help make money for Paul Chicago. And all you got to do is get a quote. You don't even have to sign. You just call him up and get a quote. State Farm gives $10 to Paul Chicago. So imagine what happens if everyone who listens to this podcast calls Brendan Studzinski or checks out his website at chicagosf.com. It's that easy. It's the easiest way, honestly, because you'll trip up trying to spell Studzinski and all that good stuff. ChicagoSF.com. And that's it, man. We good on this episode. I'm glad that we had an episode that was a little bit lighter because I can tell you as far as House of L Actual goes, next week's episode is a little bit more serious. Finished that conversation and it left me with a lot to think about. You'll find out who the, the guest is, and you're going to love it. It's actually another White Sox fan. I guess I'll have to put that list together of famous White Sox fans. I'm going to have to do that. 
I thank you so much for your time and your patience. I thank you for hanging out. I thank you for taking care of our sponsors. Zinni.com. Go get some glasses. And ChicagoSF.com. Brendan Studzinski, great, great insurance agent. Support them because they support us. We appreciate you all the way around. Have a great time. Check out the other pods on House of L, Like Sports Adjacent, and what Maddie Lee is doing. House of L actually will have another episode for you coming up next week. I'll talk to you. Peace.